0: All right, we are in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and uh, I've titled this The Great Apostasy. And uh, you're probably going to see that this has very little to do with us today. Um, it has, <laughs> It has very little to do with our world today, and you know, I hope you can make some kind of application to what we're going to study this morning, but let me give you... A little bit of uh, background if I can Paul takes a little bit of a brief intermission from the characteristics of a soldier's life godly life characteristics of a Christian an elder a deacon all of those things and he begins to talk about this thing known as the apostasy now if you look for the word apostasy in your Bibles you won't find it because it's not there it is the Greek word apostasia, and it comes from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, which reads like this. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away, the apostasia, comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. And so, it is this falling away that the Apostle Paul is going to instruct us on. He's going to kind of step back and say, this is what it's going to look like. This is how you're going to be able to read the times or see what's going on. So, pray with me and we will begin. Father, we love you. We're so grateful for your redemption, for redeeming us. Lord, we come from all walks of life, all kinds of situations, maybe for some uh, horrific experiences, and for some maybe very protected and very blessed situations and backgrounds. But Father, you came, you suffered, and you died. There's not one of us that you can't relate to. And so I just pray, Lord, as we open your word and we see what the Apostle Paul is trying to teach young Timothy, the young pastor, that we would know and understand that these are universal truths. They don't belong just to a pastor. They belong to all of us. And that, Father, we might be able to see us, ourselves, in these things. And that, Father, we might see what our calling is in this word. And yes, I think all Christians have a calling. and primary, foremost, is that calling for the Great Commission. To tell people about Jesus before it's too late. So I just pray that this morning, Lord, we would hear with our hearts as well as our ears. Lord, we pray that you would uh, encourage those that are sticking with it for the long haul, those that are still loving you. We also pray, Father, that you would uh, restore maybe those that are struggling. Those that are trying to, they're faltering maybe in their faith. At one time it might have been strong, maybe now it's not so much. And Father, I also pray that you would bless those who are seeking. Those who want to find out if there's any truth in this, Father. Because that's the most important thing in the world. Is to find out whether you are who you said you are. So Lord, again, we give this to you this morning. We ask that you would anoint not just the teaching, but you would anoint our ears and our hearts to be able to receive what you have for us. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please turn to chapter 3, verse 1 of Second Timothy, and he says, but know this, he's going to begin to describe to us what it's going to look like, this apostasy, this falling away, what these last days mean. And he says, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times, will come. Do you think we live in perilous times? <laughs> I mean, guys, you can't, can't watch uh, the news at all without saying that we're on the brink of whatever. I mean, We don't know, right? We're kind of at a place we're on hold. Those of you that have your faith in Jesus, you don't worry about that so much because you know that God's going to take care of you one way or the other. That our faith and trust is not in the world economic, it's not in the world situation or the world politics. Our trust is in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. That is 100%, that is always sure, and that is something we can always count on, no matter what. So, I think one of the first things we need to discuss in this is what does he mean by in the last days? Are these the last days? Are they yet to come? If you will turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 17, please. Acts chapter 2, verse 17. Now remember, this this is a while ago, right? From where Paul is talking to Timothy now from being in prison. This was a while ago, and he says in Acts 2, 17, It shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Now, as I get older, I'm thinking, he should have said that your old men will see visions. You know, when they're sleeping and, and tired and resting. And, and the young men will be the dreamers in life. But isn't it interesting he puts that in a little bit different classification. But, so did you notice that he says these last days? In these last days the Spirit of God will fall upon all flesh. Now that was in the book of Acts. Jesus did this on the day of Pentecost. Okay. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, it says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets. We know that to be true. In verse 2, he has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed, excuse me, heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. You will see here that the writer of Hebrews also believes that Jesus ushered in the last days. Okay? So I think we can safely say that the last days that Paul is referring to began with Jesus, and it will continue until his return. In other words, it's a pretty large span yes we are in it yes we are living in it but you might remember that those first century Christians felt the same way because of the persecution that was going on because of the Roman dominance the murders that were taking place in the name of Rome they felt the same way that these were the last days I'm sure that in World War I and World War II and all the other wars, there were those times when people felt it was the last days. Now, that's on a, a larger scale, but last days can be almost any time for any of us, right? Somebody asks you how you're doing, you go, well, I'm okay so far. You know, because you don't know what tomorrow brings. We don't know what the freeway well we're pretty sure what the freeway brings but we never know how it's going to affect us any anytime that we get on the freeway now he tells us that these perilous times are going to come perilous meaning troublesome and now he goes on to describe those days and what they're going to look at look like excuse me look at verse 2 for men will be lovers of themselves Now, by the way, the word men there, it just means human, humankind, like mankind, if you will. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. I love the fact that he threw that in there. It it, it just seems so isolated, doesn't it? Not isolated, that's not the word I'm looking for. But it just, when he lists all these other ones, and he just slides that one in there, you're going, there's got to be a reason for this. The reason he slipped that one in there. Disobedient to parents. Unthankful. Unholy. Unloving. Unforgiving. Slanders without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. See I told you it wouldn't apply to us at all. In fact for some of us that list might be in our own families. When you made a decision for Jesus Christ Depending upon your upbringing, depending upon where your parents stood or your family stood, they might have welcomed you with open arms after having prayed for you for years, or they may have ostracized you. They may have just said, oh, it's just a fad. It'll last a little while and then it'll be gone because that's what they've always done like i said that human or that man will be it comes from the word anthropos and it simply means human being lovers of themselves i've got a there was a video on youtube that i downloaded we took a a piece of and uh, we're going to play it for you here in just a few seconds but I, I, only, I only pulled out a little bit, but I think you'll get the idea when you see this video. If you could get the lights and hit the video for us. Loving yourself is singularly the greatest and most transformative gift you can give yourself. No matter your past, you have the power to love yourself entirely and unconditionally now. Listen to this track while you sleep and allow these I am affirmations to reprogram your subconscious mind, giving you the gift of complete self-love. Now, if you're looking for self-love, there's a good video for you guys. You can find it. And just a few of the I am's. All you got to do is. And actually from that point on. She says by now you should be asleep. And so I'm going to recite these I am's. While you sleep. And you're going to wake up. And the work's going to be done. Man why didn't we figure this out a long time ago. Our world would be such a different place. Here are some of the I am's. That she follows with. I love myself. I am unique and a beautiful self I am worthy of love I am perfect just as I am now some of you spouses are looking at each other going yeah that's what he thinks (laughs) and I am good through and through And, and that's only the first few that I took the time to write down. Let me go through those again. I love myself. I'm a unique and beautiful self. I am worthy of love. I am perfect just as I am, and I am uh, good through and through. You didn't know that how awesome you were, did you? That's that's how awesome you are. But it's contrary to Word of God. Just in those few, it's completely the opposite of what the Bible says. In Romans. Chapter 7, verses 18 and 19. This is the Apostle Paul talking, right? Struggling with life. Struggling with his walk. Wanting to do good things. Wanting to do the right things. Knowing what those right things were. But yet when he attempted to do them, he found within himself this ability to sin. He says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me. Now, I want you to think about that. For to will is present with me. You have been given the choice of free will. Now that sounds like an awesome thing. But I'm not so sure it is. Don't you wish sometimes if you're a Christian, don't you wish sometimes that God had just put this innate good in you? And you just wanted to do good all the time. But for some of you, you may have been Christians for 30 years, 40 years. Maybe even longer than that. And yet to will is still there. I can choose to give the wrong change that they gave me back in the grocery line. I can choose to give that back and point that out or I can put it in my pocket. I can choose to let things go, or I can get angry and mad and take it out on somebody or some individual. To will is present. Now, this is the Apostle Paul. He's the guy that probably a lot of us look at and go, man, I want to be like the Apostle Paul. But he says, in my flesh nothing good dwells, for to will is present with me. And then he goes to say, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. Verse 19, for the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil that I don't want to do, I practice that. Anybody familiar with that struggle? You want to do what's right and yet you struggle with this other individual that's why the Bible calls it the the old man because after we're risen in baptism that heart change is supposed to take place we leave the old guy in that in the water where he belongs and a newness of life happens in our life but yet this will to choose this de- desire to do things we shouldn't do see things we shouldn't see be the kind of person that we shouldn't be we want to do the right thing and Paul is just saying I'm selfish So, again, I know it doesn't apply to our civilization and our timing and our frame, but yet, lovers of themselves, that people will be lovers of themselves. I think, you know, I was jesting, right? You know that this does apply to us. It does apply to our world. All right, lovers of money. Now, I'm going to quote something here, and I want to say, I want a disclaimer before I, I quote something here. I do not recommend Pink Floyd as your theological <laughs> guidance counselor. But they had a song called Money. And it really pretty much illustrates what's going on here. Now, it has a bad word in there, and I'm not going to say it. But I will use the word expletives there so you Well, I don't want you to fill it in. But anyway, okay, here are the words. Money, get away. Get a good job with more pay and you're okay. Money, it's a gas. Grab that cash with both hands and make a stash. New car, caviar, four-star daydream. Think I'll buy me a football team. Money, get back. I'm all right, Jack. Keep your hands off my stack. Money, it's a hit. Oh, don't give me that no-goody-good expletive. I'm in the high-fidelity, first-class traveling set. And I think I need a, a Learjet. Money, it's a crime. Share it fairly, but don't take a slice of my pie. Money, so they say, is the root of evil today. Yeah. The love of money is not just the root of evil for Pink Floyd. The love of money is the root of all evil today. It's still here. I don't think it will go away until Jesus comes back and we get to live with him. But the Apostle Paul said that long before Pink Floyd came around. It's amazing how people think they come up with these creative things, but they've been around forever. They're just now discovering them, and they call them these great discoveries, but God's talked about them a long, long time ago. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 through 10, it reads like this. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. So here's the question Are you content? Are you content? Do you look at your life and go, I'm all right? I'm good. God's been good to me. Godliness with contentment. Well, what's the godliness? It doesn't, it it has to be Jesus. It has to be Jesus living inside of us to give us a whole new and a whole reset of values. These values that he's mentioned ahead of time, that's what plagues the world. That's why we're in the position that we're in. That's why the world is in the spot that it's in. Because of greed. Because of selfishness. Because of the desire for notoriety and power. When you and I become Christians, we should do our best to lay that down and say, God, your will be done. If you want me to have this job, that'd be awesome. But if you don't, I don't want any part of it. Because if you're not in it, it's going to be horrible. Lord, do you want me to take this promotion? Lord, do you want me to do this? Do you want me to do that? Do you want me to get married? Is this the right person? All of those things come under Jesus Christ. So our whole value system changes. He says here, godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, I don't think there's a person, Christian or not, on the planet that doesn't once in a while get to a place where they go, Man, I wish I could afford another car. I wish I could afford a house. I wish I could afford a car that runs. (laughs) You know, I wish I could buy school clothes for the kids. That's not exactly what he's talking about. He's talking about how this desire here to be rich. Saw a gentleman yesterday when Becky and I had gone to QT to get a tea. And uh, he got out of his truck. And uh, he, was, uh, where he had a cane. And it was difficult getting out of the, of the truck. And then uh, he kind of hobbled into the store. And a little later, he comes out. And he starts to come out. And there's a, a lady behind him. And even with all the things he was struggling with, he opened the door like a gentleman. And he stood there and he let her her out. You know, that's that's an that's an awesome thing. But he comes back out and he doesn't have anything. And I'm thinking, wow, I wonder what he what he bought in there. Well guess what he bought? A scratch ticket. So that desire to be rich, quick money. Now whether you play the lottery you don't, that's not that's that's between you and the Lord. But all I'm saying is that that desire there Is there in a lot of us I wish I had more I wish I had this I wish I had that so coming to a place where you can say God I only want what you give me that takes some growth and it takes some time to get to a place where you say God if it's not coming from you it's not going to be good it may look good, it may seem enticing, but how many of you maybe, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you maybe took a job thinking it would look great, and when you got there, it wasn't at all what was described. Godliness with contentment. And then he says, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain, meaning it's, it's absolutely certain, we're not going to carry anything out. We spend our whole life trying to amass, amass something, right? And then when it comes time that we're looking at the end of our life, we're trying to figure out who we can give it away to. Which kid do I give this to? No, they, no. Which kid do I give that to? No, they, can I give it to your kids? You know, it's, it's like, you know, you're trying to figure out how to dispose of all of this. And you talk to anyone with money and they'll tell you it can be a burden. Cause you got to shelter this you got to shelter that you got to keep all of them being paid in taxes you got you know you have to do all of those things but he's saying you, you came into the world with nothing and he took care of you when you go out of the world there's not going to be a hearse carrying a u-haul with all your stuff behind it and bury it with you that's all going to be left for someone else okay and he says and having food and clothing with these we shall be content have you noticed lately everybody's moving to the mountains or out in the middle of the desert in some place and trying to get 5 acres and isolate themselves and be off the grid and do you know how much work that is <laughs> building building a house bringing in whatever you have to do to, you know, your windmill or your charging devices to be able to keep electricity going. Um, I look at that and I think, that's a kind of a cool idea, but it's for the young. (laughs) You know, it's for those who still have all the energy to work from daylight to sunset every single day until they can finally, and by that time, they're already 45 or 50. So, you know, it's it's a lot of work. But we're trying to find that place. He said, just food and clothing. If you've got enough food to eat and you've got enough food to, to feed your kids, and, and you don't have to have the newest clothing, but food and clothing, be content. And I'll tell you this the only way that happens is with the Lord. The only way it happens is with the Lord. And he says in verse 9 there, 1 Timothy 6, 6, he says in verse 9, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. I I forget which movie star I saw the other day. And he was talking about giving somebody else, a young actor, uh, some advice. And he goes, don't, don't follow my advice. He <laughs> don't follow my advice. And he was talking about the, the first paycheck he got. He went out and bought a, a Mercedes, I think it was, or a Jaguar or something. Something he couldn't afford. Six months later, he lost the car. He's going, don't follow, don't follow my advice. And a lot of folks, you've read the stories of the lottery winners. I'm sure that you've read some of those of people, they just, they don't know what to do. And it's like, now I can finally have that car I want. Now I can finally have that house I want. Now I can have those five or ten acres over here. I can have this stuff. And then it all starts to close in. And whatever amount of money they had coming in from whatever they were doing to have it come in, sometimes that changes. And now all of a sudden, the mansion's for sale, the cars are for sale, and they can't keep up. Here it is, verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's not saying money's evil, but it, it is the root. And all of us probably are aware, if you have a tree, whatever that uh, canopy is above from the leaves and the branches, the root system, mostly, not all trees, but the root system is usually as big as that. It, it goes in the ground that, that deep. That's where it gets its nourishment. That's where it gets its life. And if our life comes from the root of money, it's, it's going to be a bad, a bad thing. It's going to get out of, uh, out of whack. Priorities are going to change. He says, it's the root of all evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and they pierced themselves through with many sorrows. You guys heard the story. In fact, I I know that I've used it before about the farmer who goes into his wife and he says, you know, our cow just gave birth to two two calves, right? One brown and one white. And uh, he says, I think that we should dedicate one of those to the Lord. And when they, we'll feed them the same, we'll take care of them the same. And when they grow up, we'll uh, keep one for ourselves. Take it to the market and that'll be our food. The other one we'll give uh, to the Lord. You know, we'll sell it and give the money back to God. So one day he comes in and he's all kind of downtrodden and he tells his wife, he says, Well, one of the, one of the calves has died. And she said, Which one? And he said, The Lord's. <laughs> it's God's calf that's dead. You see, there's just that, we laugh. (laughs) We laugh because we know that if we were in that situation, we'd be negotiating, right? We'd be negotiating, trying to figure out which one of them died. Now he goes on to boasters and proud. They kind of work together here. And I'm not going to read you the whole thing, but this was a prayer that Abraham Lincoln did back in 1863. And he basically was saying, we've lost God. We've stepped away from God. He's given us so much, everything is in bounty, and yet we're too proud to give God the glory, the God that made us. A few years later, actually 114 years later, one of the other government officials said this, I have found within myself all I need and all I ever shall need. I am a man of great faith, but my faith is in uh, George Gordon Liddy. I have never failed me. And he said that right after his relief from prison for Watergate. What a difference. One that says we need God. As a nation, we need God. We need to put God in the place where he belongs in order for us to stay right as a nation. Then later you've got somebody else in the government official. Not that long, 114 years. That depends on how you look at it. 114 years later you've got one saying, all I need is me. All I need is me. Blasphemers. Well, what's a blasphemer? A blasphemer is someone who speaks evil, slanderous, reproachful railing words and or they are abusive man we're hearing about this all the time it's not uncommon at all to even go into a store and hear this kind of swearing you can just be walking on a sidewalk people can be behind you you got your wife with you or your girlfriend with you and they're saying things that you want to turn around and go stop you know, is that, is that all you can do? Is that as far as your vocabulary ever took you? with four-letter words? Can, you know, do you have no decency with the lady here? And I think as Christians, we need to be careful to not let our guard down in this area. There are even pastors now who think it's cool to swear from the podium because they think it helps them relate, you know, to real people. Well, it's nice to be and have relationships with real people, but it's also a lot nicer to emulate Jesus because he will give you those relationships and he'll give you good people to be around so you don't always have to be on guard against all of that kind of stuff. So even as Christians, yeah, you can, You can. Does it mean you're going to go to hell if you use a bad word? No. But why? But why? we got to ask ourselves, why? Why do I do that? Is it just something that's holding over from my past? Is it because I'm so mad and I'm so angry I can't think of any other word that has maybe five letters in it? Or six letters in it? And if that's the case, we need to kind of look inside and say, this is, this, is a, this is an issue with me. Not just everybody else, but it's an issue with me. So, when the Lord's name, especially when it comes up, it should be with the utmost of love and respect. Not a swear word. I think if we're going to say, oh God, it should be out of respect and honor. It could be the same words. And it can just be another word like uh, using that. But really what you could substitute is almost any swear word with it. And it would be the same effect. So just respect. That's all. Honor. Now, disobedient to parents. All of our kids are in another room. So... I'm sure you'll be glad to share this with them after it's over with. But I wish so much we could get Christian children to understand the blessing from the Lord for being obedient to their parents. Now, the word obedient throws us off, doesn't it? We don't like obey. If a husband says to his wife, you should obey me, what, (laughs) it's like, you're gonna get killed if you keep saying that. If a wife said that to a husband, it wouldn't fly. We say it to our children. You're supposed to obey me. That, that, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. It has to come from the children. We need to start very, very early in life and teach them the principles of God of what love and honor and respect is all about. If you start very early with them, then it's going to be in them. And it's got to be in them. When I hear the, the term prison reform, those two are oxymorons. They, they, don't, they, don't, they don't fit together. Reform comes from God changing your heart. And God is the only one that can change an ugly, nasty, old heart. But when that happens, true reform happens in our life. So if we get that in our kids, then that obedience is going to be something that they do out of love and something they do out of respect. You, you, just, you don't want someone who's just a performer to do it because they have to. And a lot of times, uh, the, our kids are in that setting. A lot of times, you're in that setting at work. You do it because you have to, because you're told you have to, or you're gonna get fired. But how much sweeter when it's something you love to do, and it's something that when somebody asks you to do it, you do it, but you do it because you care. That, that's, that's just so much sweeter. Ephesians 6.1 says, Children, obey your parents, for it is wrong, hard, difficult, popular, unpopular. Right. That's the word there. He says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, because that's the only way they can do it, is in the Lord. To, uh, to obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That's the root word that we get righteousness from. And the only one that's right 100% of the time or righteous 100% of the time is Jesus. They can get that power from Jesus to be able to do the things they don't want to do. There's still things you don't want to do. Some of you are hungry now. You want to go out and get some lunch. But you're here. Our children are going to have things that they don't want to do, but life is not about just not doing what you don't want to do. Sometimes you have to get up and you have to go do things you don't want to do. Teaching our children that, but in a loving way, and why it's important is extremely important to the kids. Just telling them, hey, you do it because I'm your kid. I'm, I'm your kid. You're my kid. I'm the boss. Just do it. Well, they may be forced to do it, but they're hating you in the process of it. But if you can put that value system in them and let them know that it's a good thing to honor their parents. Anyway, it says, honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise. What's the promise? That it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Prosperity. Maybe not the way the world sees it, but they're going to be blessed for honoring their parents. How much heartache could be saved if we, even as adults, adult children, would would just... Listen to that. And for those of you that have elderly parents, they're going to be a pain, just like you were when you were in diapers. They didn't ask for it. They don't want it. They're afraid. But it's just life. When you were little, they took care of you. day and night when you were a a, a young teenager they put up with your lip still loved you when you were 18 or 19 and 20 and decided that you knew everything they still loved you and they still took care of you as much as they could and for some maybe you're still taking care of kids So, as adults, there's a certain obligation there, at least be nice to them. (laughs) You might not be in a position where you have the money necessarily to, you know, put them in a fancy place and all that, but just loving them. Just loving them. And I would say, give them the space to get old. It's okay. You know why we're so hard on them sometimes? Because we're afraid of losing them. Nobody likes facing that. But give them the space to be old. If they're going to tell you the story five times, shake your head like the first time you've seen it. Well, that's awesome. Just give them that space. Be tolerant with them. All right, for the sake of time, let's look at the rest of 2 Timothy's list, if you will. In verses 2 through 4, he says, unthankful, the last part of that verse, Unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now I know not all of these are going to hit all of us at the same time but I think we can find our story in there somewhere verse 5 having a form of godliness but denying its power and from such people turn away so he said the last days these, are go- these things are going to happen you're going to see more and more of these people and then he says they're going to have a form of godliness but they deny the power well where's the power? it's from Jesus so it's going to be a false godliness it's going to be a godliness based on something other than a true commitment to Jesus Christ. I'm sure that we have all met Christians that when they open their mouth, you go, how, how does that, how does that work? How, how does that mesh? How, if you know a little bit of what the word says and you're hearing all this stuff that's not, not from anything in the Bible, you're kind of going, how, how do you, how? How? How can you wear the name of Jesus Christ? But, but it, it's not jiving with your, with your life. So in these last days, there's going to be lots of religious people. There's going to be churches, there's going to be cults, there's going to be all kinds of things that are going to spring up. But at the core, they've lost the power of Jesus. That's not really about Jesus. It's about the worship team or it's about the stained glass or it's about the carpet or it's about how big the church is but they've lost the essence of what it's really about it's about Jesus it's about people coming in and giving their hearts to Jesus and falling in love with him and thereby loving each other caring about each other helping each other when there's a need encouraging each other so it'll be religious but it will not be godly. What does Paul say about those folks? Turn away from them. If you go anywhere to church, guys, no matter where it's at, or you listen to someone on the radio, if you listen to someone on TV, if they don't uh, mention sin, if they don't mention repentance for our sins, and they don't mention Jesus much, I would turn it off and find, find something else to listen to. Because that's a popularity message. That's not preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right. Now he goes on to talk about a couple people who were this sort of individuals. In verse 6 he says, For of this sort are those who creep into households and take captives, or make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Jannes and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith. But, They will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs also was. But I think we can put gullible men and women. Sometimes men are gullible. You know, why do you think that one of the uh, Satan's uh, tactics is to use sex as a drawing thing for everything? I mean, billboards, right? It could be about spark plugs, and you got a half-naked lady there up there on the billboard. It's like, what does this have to do with anything? I don't know, but I want to go buy some spark plugs. <laughs> he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. So, men are gullible, women are gullible. To be loaded down with sins in the first place means that we have to be led by our lusts rather than led by the Lord. Just because I want something doesn't mean it's right. Just because I can afford something doesn't mean that it's right. So we've got to be careful not to be led away by those. And since the Holy Spirit is our teacher, if we're not listening to him, we're not going to know what to do. We're going to be vulnerable to every wind of doctrine. Look at it this way. Jesus, (laughs) it's going to sound corny, Jesus is a force field. When you and I have Jesus in us, nothing can get to us except what He would allow in our life. And since He loves us, He means that for good, not for bad. But when you and I unplug, the force field's gone. When you and I back off, now I'm not saying Jesus is gone. I'm just saying when we back off, that gets weaker and weaker and weaker. Because we don't know how to fight. We've forgotten what the Word of God says. So, loaded down with sins, led by lust, not listening to the Holy Spirit, and bounced around with every wind of doctrine. You know, people can say this is the gospel, people can say this is God's word, but listen closely. It might not be. So Paul uses these things to illustrate this modern group, if you will, in the last days. Guys, I think every one of them we see. I honestly do. I think we see the list out. It's flamboyant. It's out there. It's out in front of everyone. And although they will have that hint of spirituality, you ask almost anybody today, you ask them, you know, do you believe in God? Oh, yeah, I believe in God. Well, which one? Do you believe in Jesus? Oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Do you believe in Jesus of the Bible? Well, I don't really read the Bible. I don't like a man-made religion. What do you, do you go to church anywhere? Well no, I don't, I don't like organized religion in that way. So you're a Christian. But you don't love God's Word, and you don't love God's people. How does, that, how does that line up? That just doesn't seem to work. He's basically saying here that their progress will go no further. In other words, there going to come a time like these two guys that resisted Moses and their time will come to an end. They will it will end up being nothing. Those pursuits always end up being nothing. So I'm going to close with this. 2 Timothy 3:10. He says, "But you, Timothy, that's who he's writing to, young Timothy, young pastor, You have carefully followed my doctrine. Doctrine, don't get hung up in that. just means teachings, correct teachings, right teachings. You have carefully followed my teachings, my manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch at Iconium, at Lystra what persecutions I have endured and out of them all the Lord delivered me. There are many here. If I ask you to raise your hands and you could say that you've been through it, you've been through the mill, you've been wrung out, but God still has delivered you from every single one of those. There would be a lot of hands. You know what? Let's do it. Anybody here say, I've been through a lot? that God's God's always been there for me. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. You see, that means it can be done. It can be done. You won't get through this world unscathed. We live in a fallen world. And it's going to hurt sometimes. But if you hang on to the Lord and you wait for the Lord and you say, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. Knowing full well, that all things work together for good for those who are called and chosen. According to God's purposes. You know that you know that you know, even though you can't see it. That's what faith is all about, that God means something good in this, even though you can't see it, even though it might hurt. It's funny, we'll go to the gym and hurt for three days after it's over with, just to have muscles, but spiritual muscles, we don't want to put in the time. It's like, I don't want to hurt. None of us want to hurt. But there's usually a lot of sweet growth that comes in our life from that. Okay. He says in verse 12, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Now when I say that, you're thinking of a Roman ring right with the lions coming out and get you it might just be your kids you tell them that you've given your life to Jesus Christ and they go are you nuts it could be your boss it could be it could be anyone anywhere when you mention Jesus or you pray for your food that somebody else looks at you like well look at those idiots believing in a fairy tale so we won't get out of this world unscathed and some it cost them a lot. But the answer is still in the Lord. You notice Paul didn't say, you may, you might. Depending on what's going on, you may or you may. go <laughs> you will. Because you have enough backbone to stand for Jesus. Because you have enough faith and hope to stand for Jesus. And let me tell you, while you're raising your kids, that's not going to be easy. Because everything in the Word of God tells them to be careful, to be cautious, to give them warnings, and, and, and love to, to love them like a parent would, to discipline them like a godly parent would, to show them right for wrong. And I'll tell you this, they're going to hate you for it for a while. They don't want you telling them what to do. None of us like being told what to do, but they're not going to like you, being, you telling them what to do. But that doesn't mean you quit. That doesn't mean that you stop being a godly mom or a godly dad. You still stand for the truth. And hopefully about 19 or 20, they start coming back around. They start coming back around and you begin to hear a few words like, I know you did the best you could and I'm grateful for what you taught us. And if that never happens, at least when you stand before the Lord, You can say, I did the best I knew how. And I did my best to give them you. And he will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest.